Welcome to Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people at Summit Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We gather each week in the heart of St. Paul on historic Summit Avenue, where our mission is to create rhythm, opportunity, and location where people like you can have life-changing experiences with God. Our podcast is one of those locations. As followers of Christ, we are doing our best to be on mission, disciple others, deliver hope, and champion this city. At any point in your journey with us today, if you want to take a next step or you just want to stay in the loop with everything going on at Summit, just grab your phone and simply text the phrase, be known, all one word, be known to the number 651-360-2908. We will send you a short form that makes it super easy for you to complete. There's always new opportunities to mention and new ways that you can get involved. One of the rhythms that is important to following Jesus and important to us at Summit is studying scripture. As we study the Bible, we can have one, hope, two, find guidance, three, be corrected, and four, receive truth into our lives. Listen in and lean in with us wherever you are, open up God's word, and hear this week's message. We've been in a series of the book of Daniel If you've missed it, make sure you get on our podcast. Hey, one quick note about how it works with our media at church. A lot of people ask me, uh, Pastor Eric, do we stream our services? Um, The answer is yes and no. Uh, We always have a, a service. It's just usually a week behind. So if you go on our YouTube or if you go on our actual church media page, you can catch up on the actual video of the service. It's just a week behind. And so like this message would be available next Sunday, if that makes sense, if you want to see it. If you want to listen to the podcast, usually, let's give it up for Pastor Brandon. Usually he's got that done and out there in the world by Monday. That's actually just right after the Sunday that you were at. So the reason, people ask me this a lot, the reason why we don't stream our services on Facebook Live or on YouTube Live anymore is really two things. Number one, we don't have the team built. We don't have the team built to do that well from a production standpoint. And number two, we don't actually have the physical equipment to do that well. So it's a personnel and it's also a financial issue. And so rather than streaming something out there live that you can't see, that you have a hard time hearing, that looks pixelated, the the, the worship, I don't know about you, but during COVID, um, have you ever logged on to someone's worship service and that's all you hear is the symbol? No offense, Steve. Like everything in the music is mixed and that's all you hear is that one vocalist just ripping it. So there's a whole like audio engineer that has to mix specifically for live events. There's a camera, a couple cameras. Uh, It's about a $10,000 purchase that I just don't think is necessary right now as a church to spend our money on that. Uh, And the board agrees. And so we've tried to come up with a creative solution to have our services available online visually, also have a podcast that's there timely and not spend any money. So that's why we did that, okay? So if you ask me that again, I'll just tell you to listen to this podcast because it's on there. Anyway, moving on. We've been doing a renovation up in the third floor of our 
uh, building here for our cafe and for our students and for an overflow seating area. And we're going to rent it to some other churches that don't speak English and just some really neat things. It's been a building renovation project. Uh, we haven't raised any capital for it. We haven't asked you to donate to it specifically other than at Christmas one time. We're not overspending. It's not contracted. It's literally something we're doing as a church together. And God has really started to bless that endeavor. Uh, we got flooring for that entire space at $1.20 a square foot, installed. Like, I want you to do the math there. Like, it's unbelievable what we're doing upstairs and in the kids' area that God is just blessing. So I wanted to show you a little bit about that space and how tore up it was. I also wanted to give you a little maybe treat, if you will, visually of what we're going to be talking about when we talk about Daniel 6 and the lion's den. So enjoy this video that we made for you. So open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6, and let's talk about this lion. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. Daniel chapter 6, verse 2. And over them three high officials, who Daniel was one, in whom these satraps, that is such a hard word to say, would give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then Daniel became distinguished above all higher other officials and these wise men because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now that word that we kind of read there that's real foreign, satraps, satraps, it's interesting, right? It's hard to say. There's even like disagreement from you to me, Melinda, about how to pronounce that. But the reality is, is Melinda's probably right. <laughs> the end of the line, though, here is what you need to know is that these are wise people, wise men in ancient Babylon, if you will. And let's talk a little bit about Christmas for a second in August. What's the date? Today, 13th, right? So in 10 days, it would be the 23rd. So 11 days, three months, 11 days from Christmas right? We're three months and 11 days from Christmas. Four months and 11 days Christmas. So traps. That's fast, right? Even three months, four months, I don't care. It's still fast. But let's talk a little bit about Christmas real quick. There's this part of the story where the wise men come from the east. You remember that. They're called the Magi. Now, there is a lot of scholarly study around the Magi. They're a specific group of wise enchanters, Chaldeans, Babylonians from the east. I want you just to track here. The Magi were wise men from this part of the earth where Daniel is right now. 600 years later, they show up. But right here, these wise men, they start to coalition into a group called Magi. So you got Babylonians and Chaldeans and Satraps and all these things that kind of eventually get to the spot where now we formerly know them as Magi. The star goes up. They want to come pay homage to Christ. Here's my question. How in the world, how in the world would a bunch of Romans, Babylonians, Persians, Medes, how would they know Jewish prophecy at all. 
Why would they know Jewish prophecy? What would lead them to believe that this particular star is one that would lead them to the Christ? Here's what you need to know. I think it's Daniel. And a lot of people agree. There's a huge connection to this part of the history in this part of the earth with Daniel. Do you know why they knew Jewish prophecy? Because there's a direct connection, I have a hunch, between Daniel and the Magi. 600 years later, this explains why they arrived to see a Jewish king in Judea near the end of that first century because the Magi followed that star based on Jewish prophecy in Daniel's writings. Cool, right? 600 years later, Daniel is making way, or 600 years earlier, Daniel's making way for this beautiful moment. Verse four, then the high officials and the satraps What was it again? Satraps, yeah, that's what it said. Satraps and officials sought to find ground for a complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not find a complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Verse five, then these men said, the satraps, we shall not find a ground for the complaint against Daniel unless we find it in some sort of connection between his law and his God. Point number one of my message, write this down. If you're you're taking notes, when you look at Daniel 6, don't abide in something you hide. Don't abide in something you hide. Let's talk about that for a second. A lot of crimes on this earth are not sins. A lot of sins are not crimes. What you got to understand is we got to really take a look in the mirror and you have to do this privately between you and the Holy Spirit. What are you abiding in? In fact, the other question is, what are you hiding behind? Don't abide in something you hide. In your life, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit this week, what is not Christ-like? What is the Holy Spirit dealing with me on? What am I hiding in that I should not be abiding in? So sometimes we see these things come out and then we're ashamed. But the light, the truth can set you free. And so my question for you is for you to ask the question to the Holy Spirit. What am I hiding that I'm abiding in? So if you're not supposed to abide in fill in the blank, whether it be what? Let's just go through the list. Let's just play the hits. Pornography, liquor, jealousy, gossip. What, what are you hiding that you abide? Uh, some of you like evade your taxes. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God's what is God's. Some of you need to get your financial crap in order. You're, you're hiding in it. Tax evasion. Why are you abiding in that moment in your life? It's killing your peace. You, you, you don't want to talk about it. Like, money's uncomfortable because you're abiding in something that you're hiding. When somebody starts talking about sexual purity, and then, like, you, all you can think about is your internet history, you're hiding in the fact that you are clearing out your internet history from your devices because you're abiding in something that you're not supposed to be hiding in. 
So I don't know that for you. You do. I don't actually want to know that. The less I know, sometimes the better. But I'm asking you to ask the Holy Spirit, what am I hiding in that I need to not abide in? The reason I say that is because Jesus said this in John 8, 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How many of you are a disciple of Christ? Put your hand up. You're a disciple of Jesus, not a disciple of Summit, not a disciple of Pastor EST. You're a disciple of Christ. Put it up, put it up, leave it up, get it up, bip, bup. Okay, put it down. Now put it back up if you're hiding in something. No, I'm kidding. So Jesus says, if you abide in what? His word or your sinful, habitual way? You see what I'm saying here? Jesus says, abide in my word, not in the things you hide and the truth will set you free. So if you constantly hide or abide in the things that you wanna keep hidden, you are never gonna be free from those things. Jesus says to abide not in the things that we hide, but to abide in his word. And then the truth sets you free. So sometimes you need people in your life to help you navigate. And truthfully, that's part of my job. That's part of our church's job. That's part of the people sitting next to you. You don't need to tell everything to everyone, but you do have to tell something to someone. Because sometimes people can't protect you. They don't have the chops. They're not a trustful source. But I'm asking you to ask the Holy Spirit, what am I abiding in that isn't your word? What am I hiding behind? What I love about Daniel here is he's abiding in God's word. They can't find fault in him because he's not abiding in anything that he's trying to hide. I don't always live that way. And then I wonder why I don't feel free in that way. We're not supposed to abide in all the hidden. We're supposed to abide in the word. So what does the Holy Spirit want you to reveal to him and to someone that might help you take the next step? Verse six. Then these high officials said to the, Melinda, satraps. Huh, I'm weird. I'm right too? I'm weird? It's a traps. Tomato, tomato, right? Potato, potato. It's a trap, say traps. These high officials and these say traps, so traps, <laughs> came by agreement to the king and said, Darius, live forever. High officials of the kingdom, governors, everybody. Listen, the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a prayer, a petition, a decree to any God or man for 30 days, except you, O King Darius, shall be cast into the den of lions. You know why they switched it up? Because in verse, or in chapter five, the furnace didn't work. Like we gotta up our torture policy here. We threw three guys in, they all came out fine. You remember that story? Totally foiled Nebi. Let's get some lions, some sharks with laser beams. All right, moving on. 
Now the king established the injunction. He signed the document so it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. I mean, in other words, a king makes a law or a decree unto himself. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Number two in my message today, thriving in Babylon. Don't assume a law is moral. Whatever law is out there in the world, don't assume it's moral. It could be a law that we follow. It could be something that's legal or permissive or allowed or prohibited, but don't assume whatever law, whatever injunction Babylon serves up to you, that it's moral. Don't assume that the law that you can do this is moral. Don't assume that the law that says you can't do this is moral. In Babylon, if you're going to thrive in Babylon, you need to filter out through the laws, not through what is legal or what is illegal, but what is holy. That's a bigger question. And the, procla- the proclamations of any king or any government can be in Babylon, in juxtaposition against God's commands. They can actually be the bookend to what is right. And just because it's legal or illegal doesn't mean it's holy. So let me ask you a quick question here, just by way of thought. What, what the heck are we supposed to do with our government then? Like if they serve this stuff up and we're just like, this isn't even close to what God's law says, and you just want, you want me to follow this crap? What do I do? Like, how do we resolve that tension? That's a good question, because the New Testament church had to deal with this tension too. You can read for yourself in 1 Timothy 2.1. I urge you, supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving, be made for all people. All people. People that disagree with you politically. People on the other side of the line. People that live a different lifestyle. People that define X, Y, Z different. Prayer, supplications, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. That's hard. Thanksgiving? For your enemies? For kings and for who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified life in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Number one, pray for our government leaders. How do we resolve this? tension, you get on your knees and you invade heaven because of this tension. It's really hard to hate people when you pray for people. I have found that when I get that, like, something stirred within me that just goes, are you nuts? That compassion meter kind of goes down a little bit. I have found when I actually pray for that situation or that person, I'm pulled back to the heart of Christ not Eric's reaction. Compassion is found on your knees, not with your fists. Let's go to Matthew 6, 33, number two. Seek what first? The kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God first. And his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So pray for our government leaders. And number two, in this tension, seek the kingdom first. Make the kingdom the priority, not the political party that you're part of the priority. Now I'm preaching. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. People ask me all the time, what is the kingdom of God? It's righteousness, peace, and joy. When you don't have peace, it's because you 
you didn't possess joy, it's because you haven't chosen right. Not self, right? But you, you're off God's path. That's why when you're on God's path in the midst of a storm, you can have peace and you're joyful with little, joyful with much. The kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. Peace is your umpire. It's the person behind home plate calling the things. If peace left, righteousness has left because maybe you got off the map. If peace ever leaves and that deep-seated shalom is not there about a situation, about something you're participating in, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. And when joy's not there, it's because you don't have peace and it's because you haven't chose right. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it's all works together. And, and that's why I think Jesus, or Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would have been fighting. I might have been delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. I think sometimes when we look at the government and we look at everything in Babylon that we're, we're served up, we love to go work for a victory versus work from a victory. And the people that we disagree with, that we should pray for, that like literally are the mission can be easily defined as the enemy. Demo Democrat, Republican? How about kingdom? God knows that there is tension and we must understand the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this earth and Babylon might be in conflict. Can I tell you something, church? How we resolve this conflict doesn't mean we sit on the sidelines in our political circles. We get involved in our civic duty, but we do that by praying for our government leaders, seeking the kingdom first beyond all other allegiance, and proclaiming the kingdom in unity. Seek God's ways that are shaped by his law, not any law. Preach the word to yourself first and be shaped by Jesus' teachings, not some teaching or dogma of a political party. Okay, then you can go out and vote the best you can, but know that this, the fallen systems of humanity will never resolve the tensions of the kingdom of heaven colliding with the kingdom of earth. Okay, so just buckle up. You're going to feel it. That's how it works. Acts 2.40, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread. I am just simply saying to you that don't assume Allah is moral, and when you get that tension, do what we're instructed to do. Pray for your leaders, the government, seek the kingdom first, and keep proclaiming the kingdom in unity. That's how we resolve that tension. That's how we walk in that tension. I'm not sure that the tension leaves. More to come on that. Let's continue. Daniel verse 10, 6 verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows in his upper room open towards Jerusalem. Daniel knows the king did this decree. He goes back to his house opens the windows towards Jerusalem. He gets down on his knees three times a day and he prays and he gives thanks to God before God as he had done previously. Write that down under that in your Bible. As he had done previously. This is not a new thing that Daniel's doing. This is just a simple expression of a routine of prayer that he's already been involved in. So can I just say this to you all this? Number three, don't hide or weaponize your devotion to God. 
If you want to thrive in Babylon, don't hide or weaponize your, your devotion to God. Does that make sense to you? Because sometimes I think when we're, we're, we're going to thrive in Babylon, the back row over there, Colstock boys, and, you know, I, I don't know if Xavier's in here or if he's serving downstairs with kids today, but when you guys go back to high school, grade school, Canadarood uh, fam that's back there, there's a bunch of college students sitting right here, some young adults. How about all of you? When you're at work, you're at school, like, don't hide don't hide your connection with the Holy Spirit. Pray for your food. That's all right. Pray out loud. Give thanks to God. Speak as a person of faith in those public places. Don't hide, but at the same time, um, don't weaponize your devotion either. I think sometimes we can take like our devotion to God and we can actually use it as a hammer, not as a wedding invitation. There's two different realities here. The laws change, Daniel doesn't. The laws were in opposition to God, but what was Daniel's weapon? What was it? Prayer. Next month, y'all better be at all pray. Because you missed it. If you weren't here and you didn't come for an hour as a church, Take guilt and condemnation off yourself. I'm not putting it on you. I'm not making you feel bad for missing it. But I'm telling you, don't come to me the next week and go, I don't have any weapons. I'm just overwhelmed with the weight of the world. Like, well, did, have you been praying? Where were you at all pray? It's an hour. It's an hour out of your month. Don't miss it. Because why? Daniel's big weapon, it's prayer. You can read in verse 11. Then these men came to agreement and found Daniel making a petition and a plea before his God. They came near and said before the king, King, did you not sign a law that if anyone prays to anyone but you, they're going to be cast into the den of lions? The king said, yeah, I did. Then they answered, Daniel, who is one of the exiles of Judah, pays no attention to you, king, or the injunction you have signed but he makes his prayer to his God, his petition, three times a day. Daniel's caught. The king makes the law unto himself. Now he has to decide. But he makes his petition how many times a day? How many? Okay. How many of you pray for your food? Okay, you pray like a little grace. What's, what's a favorite prayer for your food rub-a-dub-dub thanks for the grub yay god let's try that together on three one two three rub-a-dub-dub thanks for the grub yay god okay amen what's another one for our food there's another one out there i know there's another one god is good god is great thank you for this food today amen Okay, ready? On three. God is good. One, two, three. God is good. God is great. Thank you for this food today. What's another one? Oh, that's Pentecostal prayer right there. So you're off script. I'm looking for a little more liturgical. That's the... 
that's what I grew up with too. Come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let this, let these gifts to us be blessed. Amen. Let's do that on three. One, two, three. Come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let this food to us be blessed. Amen. Isn't that nice? You know what I do at my house when we pray? Lord, thanks. Let's eat. No, actually, I'm always humbled when I'm sitting in front of a, a meal. Danielle and I went to the Lexington uh, on our, for our anniversary on Friday night, last Friday. And they brought this food out and, you know, it's like 40 bucks for like one scallion. <laughs> it's like, what, what, where'd you, I can go to the ocean and catch one myself for cheap. Anyway, moving on. It was romantic and I loved it. Thank you, honey, for going with me. Um, but I'm always challenged when I'm eating good food, whether it be Papa Murphy's pizza or a, a meal at the Lexington, I'm always challenged that like, there are people that don't get to do this. Like I always sit in front of a big plate of food. I'm like, Lord, bless this food, but help me to remember those that don't have it. Like in our city. I'm just always overwhelmed with that. Like, Sometimes I can't even pray for it because it just strikes me how like rich and blessed we really are. Lord, thank you for this food that I'm going to partake in one meal that's more meat than some kids will ever have in their entire life. Thank you for this meal that costs like, like the, the amount of, of currency of some people's wages for their entire year of their, of their investment. So here's what I got for you, church. Don't just pray for your food. If you really want to use the weapon that prayer is, you can't just recite a precautionary prayer over your food and call it good. Daniel does this three times a day. I want you to know something. All of you here that think you're old, I want you to stand up if you're closer to 87 than you are to 44, you're closer to 80, I'm 44. I want you to stand up. If you're closer to 87 than you are to 44. Go ahead and stand up right where you're at. Closer to 87 than you are to 44. Okay, closer to 87 than you are to 40. Do the math. Stay, stay standing. Stay standing. Okay, you can sit down. Here's my point. All of you need to know this, okay? Daniel, Daniel's 87 right now. In this portion of scripture, Daniel's 87, not this young spry buck with a beard and a, and a cane and a slick robe and some J's. He's 87 years old. And you need to know that because you need to wash that into your heart. Because if you just stood or you thought about standing or you're so old you can't stand, you need to understand something. That's okay. But you got to also understand what you can do is pray. And if you stood or you want to stand or you think you're older than 60, you need to know your greatest weapon will not be showing up upstairs to reno and rip out carpet. It would be to prayer, pray for me and the people of this church, that family right there, those kids over there, to continue to bombard, bombard heaven three times a day. That is your greatest weapon. You hear what I'm saying to you? He's 87 years old. 
Now on Mondays as a church, we fast and pray. We fast and pray on Mondays as a church. If you don't do that, you should join us in that. It's a simple setting aside. We've been doing that since the new year. Let's revisit that. If you haven't done that or you've gone off track, fast and pray with us on Monday. Could be lunch, could be the whole day. But here's what I want you to do. Think about coming to all pray, but I want you to set three alarms. I'm gonna do this with you. Three alarms, ready? Get your phone out, get your, get your um, something to write with. 6.33, set the alarm for 6.33. Matthew 6.33, at 6.33 in the morning, seek his kingdom first and his righteousness and these things will be added unto you. When that alarm goes off, all you gotta do is pray this prayer, church. Jesus, you first. And then go back to bed. Or if you've already been up for four hours, keep on your day. 6.33. This is just something I'm gonna do. You don't have to do this. This isn't in the Bible. This is just our petition three times a day, fleshed out for how that could look. 6.33. Jesus, you first. 11.28. Matthew 11.28. All you who are labor and are burdened, I give you rest. I don't know about you, but about 11.30, whether you're retired or you're active in your job, about that middle day, you're a little bit more weary. You've had a couple different classes. You're in the thick of the work day. At 11.28, Matthew 28, all who you labor and are burdened, I'll give you rest. Your second prayer is this, Jesus, be my rest. And then Matthew 17.20, for all you military timers out there, that's 5.20 p.m. They're all in Matthew. Matthew 6.33, Matthew 11.28, and Matthew 17.20. Jesus says, I reply to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move, and it'll be done. Nothing will be impossible. Jesus, you first at 6.33. Jesus, be my rest at 11.28. And at 5.20 p.m., Jesus, give me big faith. Just something simple that I wanna do in my life that maybe you could do in yours to help build a prayer life outside of just for our food. Last part of this sermon and we'll be done for today. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and he set his mind to deliver Daniel. He knew he was gonna get thrown into the lion's den. He labored till the sun went down to rescue him. And then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, King, it's the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes that can be changed. You made a law, it's to you too. The king declared to Daniel, may your God who you serve continually deliver you. And the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords, that nothing may be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Underline sleep fled from him in your Bible. Fifth and final point, and I'm going to let you out of here for today. Don't forget the promise when facing the problem. Don't forget the promise when facing the problem. Now, let's review for a second. We've been in this series in Daniel. Chapter one, God delivered them from the confrontation of this Babylonian government and King Nebuchadnezzar. They're refugees and they actually 
were taken from their land and then promoted. That was chapter one. Chapter two, if you remember, God delivered Daniel and the guys after the king said he was gonna execute all the wise people. Chapter three, God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. Are you seeing a pattern here? Chapter four, God delivers not just Daniel or the boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but King Nebuchadnezzar himself from his pride. Chapter six. If Daniel's life is in danger and leading up to chapter six, chapter one, two, three, four, and five, all had to do with God showing up and delivering, what do you think Daniel thinks God's gonna do? What has God done? Don't forget the promise when facing the problem. Break a day, the king rose, went to haste to the den of lions. He got there, he cries out to the king, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you? Then Daniel said to the king, king, blameless, excuse me, O king, live forever. My God said, sent his angel and shut the, the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me. Don't forget the promise when facing the problem. The king has slept, left him. He was up all night, worried about his friend, washing anxiety. Sometimes when we face problems, we get to choose to be Daniel or Darius. And the reality is, is sometimes we're, we're Darius. We're facing the mathematical equations of it all adding up. And we're like, I'm losing sleep over this. The problems in my life, the problems in my family, the issues I'm facing. We got a lot of big Darius that rises up within us and we're freaking out about it. I, anybody else do that or is it just me? Anybody else when you're facing something, you freak out a little bit? Okay, that's the spirit of Darius. That's freaking out. That's, that's remembering the problem, not the promise. That's looking myopically at what's in front of you, not standing on what God has done behind you. This is when we live with a windshield uh, that is tiny and a rear view mirror that's massive and we just look back and see what God is doing and what he's done when we go forward. But actually what, what we really need to do is, is look at the windshield that's this big thing that's ahead of us. Yeah, it's there, but don't forget what God's done. Don't forget the promise when facing the problem. I find myself dealing with Darius. Now, Daniel down in this pit, the Bible does not say that he slept with like, like a baby. It doesn't say that Daniel lay down on a rock like that little felt thing that you saw you know, in grade school or in Sunday school, and there's Daniel sleeping in there with the lions. But the Bible does say what, what happened, and the Bible does say that he shut the mouth of the lions. Doesn't say if Daniel was afraid. I can only assume he was. Doesn't say that Daniel might have been up all night. I can only assume he might have been. But it does say that God did shut the mouths of the lions. I want you just to take this a side note before we close John 21 15 Jesus says to Peter post-resurrection when you are old verse 15 18 of the 
chapter 21 of the book of John, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is the kind of death that will happen to you, Peter. Jesus predicts Peter's death and he alludes to the fact that he's gonna be crucified or he's gonna be stretched out like he was when he is old. Fast forward to Acts 12, and it came time when Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was the day of unleavened bread, and when he seized Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squadrons of soldiers to guard him, intending that after the Passover, he bring him to the people. And guess what King Herod's going to do to Peter? Guess what he did to James? He killed him. What do you think Peter's going to do? You're in a cell. I'm going to bring you before the people, and now we're going to execute you. Herod was about to bring him out, and on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He was sleeping between two soldiers. Why? Because he knew the promise that Christ had given him, that you don't die here in a jail cell as a young man. You die as an old man stretched out. Don't forget the promise when you face the problem. Why does Peter, on the verge of his execution, go to sleep between two soldiers? Because Peter didn't forget the promise when he was facing the problem. This is what I want to leave you with today. Because the Bible doesn't say that Peter was afraid. It does say that he was asleep. And later in Acts chapter 12, it does say that he opened the chains. And so what I want to encourage you in is this. You serve a God, okay? And I think we have a slide for this. Who shuts the mouths that want to consume you and opens the chains that want to constrain you. This is the God you serve. A God that shuts the mouths that want to consume you. And he opens the chains of things that constrain you. But the question or the key to unlock this truth in your own life, just like as Darius and Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and he, in the reign of, of Cyrus the Persian, at the last part of that chapter 6 of the book of Daniel, we cannot forget the promise when we are facing the problem. And we got to realize who God is. But the question that you got to ask yourself is this, are you Darius or are you Daniel? When you're facing a den of lions for you, what's your lion? What's your den of lions that, that, that metaphorically you, you're being cast into? When you get to that spot, are you going to forget the promise? Because we serve a God who opens chains that constrain you. Are you going to forget the promise? We, we serve a God that shuts the mouths of the things that want to destroy you. Are you going to forget the promise and just focus on the problem? Because if that's what you do, you need to understand that you're King Darius. You're up all night bathed in your anxiety, not literally being washed in the promises from heaven. There's a difference. And so for me, when I read this, when I look at this for us, ask yourself that question this week. Am I Darius or am I Daniel when I'm facing problems? Or have I forgot the promise? And I'm telling you, the God you serve opens the chains that constrain you and shuts the mouths of things that want to consume you. That's Daniel chapter 6.
Next week we'll do seven and maybe eight. Don't forget, if you're here for the kids' training camp that's happening right after service, next week, come to one of training camps, be a part of one of the serve teams for Team Sunday. Thanks for coming. God, we just ask that you would give us the courage to ask the question this week of what are we hiding, what are we abiding in? And those of us that are here that are facing problems, Lord, I just pray that we would be reminded of the promise, that we would choose to rest, to do what only we can. Lord, I just pray for the people that are here today that think about this path, Darius and Daniel, Darius and Daniel. You would stick with them. They'd remember that when they come to another crossroads of another problem, we would remember the promise. In Jesus' name, amen. To help you apply the truth found in scripture, we always like to ask three questions. What did you learn about God? What did you learn about yourself? How are you going to apply what the Holy Spirit is speaking through scripture to your life? We hope that helps bring clarity for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people of Summit Church. Join us in person sometime as we gather as a church on Summit Avenue, or join us here at our podcast again, or virtually at our online encounter each week. Before you go though, Pastor Eric is going to give you a special invitation and share just part of his heart for you, the culture, and a little bit about the people of Summit Church. Hey, Pastor Eric Samuel Tim here. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Let me first say, our city of St. Paul is absolutely amazing. I encourage you to explore all the history it has to offer. And you need to know this, Summit Church has been a part of that history along with so many amazing churches. Speaking specifically about the people of Summit, well, we've been gathering here since about 1932. And my hope that this would not just be a rich history, but it would be our forward legacy. History is a thing of the past, but legacy makes way for the future. So where are we going? That's a good question. Our vision is simple, to see all people of St. Paul and beyond living as disciples of Christ, people full of hope, fully known, and actively loving one another, living a spirit-led life. Our mission is also simple, to provide rhythm, location, and opportunity where you can have a life-changing experience with God. Journey within the diversity to do these three things. Become disciples of Jesus, to deliver hope, and to champion this city. That is where we are going. That is what we're doing. So where are you going? Maybe that's a good question for you. What are your next steps? I would encourage you to join one of our monthly expeditions. The expedition is a simple experience where you can find out more about who you are in Christ, who Summit Church is, what are we doing around here, and how you can play a part. It's less than a two-hour commitment for your whole month. We also feed you some amazing food and even provide childcare. So the question is, where will we go? Maybe we're on a journey following Jesus together. And I got a hunch, we just might not be us without you. We'll see you at the summit where we prepare for life in the valley.